Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Oh, this is going to be a fun hour. Guy Talk is, uh, it looks like the texts have come in and, and the, the vote is continue Guy Talk. Even though, even though, let's see, uh, uh, one listener said, just Todd, Guy Talk is complete in itself. Todd always has a lot to say that is so helpful that he stands alone. And what do we say to that? <laughs> no, you don't. You've got to be very polite to all the listeners. <laughs> But we, uh, we're going to have a full 30 minutes with Todd. We're going to extend Guy Talk a little bit. But the overwhelming response was more Guy Talk. So, uh, guys, thanks for, uh, for uh, the, the text and all the input. And Todd Mulliken has joined us. Uh, gentlemen, Todd, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, yeah. fellas. Great to have you here, Todd. All right. Now, the, the power you. panel, you guys must have questions for Todd. Oh, my. He's a psychologist? Yeah. A Christian psychologist? Yeah. yeah, he's a Christian psychologist. Oh, my. What do you got? Well, I think, uh, Barack, the, the, what you were talking about earlier, you know, how much of our psychological disturbances are maybe spiritual and how much of them are maybe chemical, emotional, relational? Mm. Do you experience demonic much in your ministry? Not much, but I think it's yes to all the above, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think Satan's under every rock, but he's alive and well. Right. So I think medical stuff, you know, our genetics matters, our environment matters, our family of origin matters, um, spiritual warfare matters. So I think I try to be open to all of those things and try to avoid silos where it's, you know, more dichotomous thinking is, well, it's for sure this or it's for sure that. And usually it's yes to a lot of things. Uh Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think when we keep an open mind to what's unique about that situation that the person's battling, then I think we... And we use what's best to edify that situation as, as them being a child of God. How are we really helping them with where they're at? As a therapist, can you go into those kind of places with your clients or not very often? I would if, assume, if right? If you have somebody that's a believer, but I, that's not a, a you know, core competency of mine sure. just to work with you know, demon possession, those kinds of things. But I certainly can address spiritual warfare and how that's impacting their story. And Praise, for sure. God. Praise God. And the reason I say that is that... I've worked with a lot of psychologists. When I was at Trinity Lutheran in Mayhaha Falls, we had our own medical clinic as oh, part of the, the whole church for a number of years, so I would interact there. So I've known a lot of the psychologists around town. Here's the bottom line. You sound healthy. And what I mean by that is because you're looking at the balance of the whole realm, from all the way from the psychological, the chemical, the spiritual. Mm-hmm. You can deal with most of those things. I would have, and this was kind of, the, you know, Nicodemus called at 11 o'clock at night, wanted to meet Jesus. I'd get the 11 o'clock calls. You know, Pastor Tom, I'm psychologist so-and-so. I've been working with these people, and I'm going out of my mind. I can't sleep. I'm having all kinds of problems. Do you have any time to talk to me? And it was amazing how many of the psychologists that I met were also experiencing deep troubles because the spiritual realm, they had no inkling into mm. it. And I'm not putting them down and being critical. They just sure. didn't. Sure. So they were getting bushwhacked on one side where they're trying to help people on the other. I'm thankful for what you're doing. Well said. Thank you so much. How long have you been a psychologist? Well, I've been a therapist since 1984. So, so long one, time. One question for you. About as long as you've been. No, just Serious. What has gone way up? as far as presenting problems at your office? Mm-hmm. 
Well, certainly since COVID, anxiety is noisier, but okay. certainly fear and anxiety have been the louder things the last 10, 15 years along with trauma. Okay. So we look at a lot of things through the lens of trauma now. First 20 years, it was less of that in my practice, but the last 15 years, we look... What you know, is trauma? Like what? Well, so we can have, you know, small hurt to severe trauma, oh, right? Somebody okay. could go through a difficult hurt in their upbringing. Somebody could have a severe trauma. But those things matter in their story. And so as we address that and help them heal um, through trauma-informed um, therapy, Christ-centered, it's, it can be a powerful thing. Right. So trauma is pretty loud stuff now. Yeah. You know, so if somebody is overreacting in a certain area of their life where they're very rigid, they're excessively dogmatic, sometimes it's a personal thing. Yeah, Tom, people... Tom and I are kind of like that. <laughs> we're very dogmatic. Wow. We're, we're very getting, Lutheran. We're getting, and we do some vulnerable therapy here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Our parents were perfect. And... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a lot of stuff now is with trauma. And okay. so... And again, in my field, sometimes we overshoot things early, right? So 20 years ago, if you had a kid that was, you know, busy at five, for sure he had ADHD. Well, maybe not. Okay. Right. So now I think, so when new diagnoses come out, sometimes in my experience, we overshoot it as therapists and we think everybody's got that versus, wait a minute, calm down, have breathe. You seen, have you seen the ADHD t-shirt? Oh, what does it say? I don't have ADHD. Oh, look, a squirrel. There you go. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so I think we're doing a better job now with trauma, realizing what it is, what it isn't. Same with narcissism. When that first came out, everybody was a narcissist. Now we're figuring it out a little bit. So, so I think. What are the things you are you doing to stay healthy? Mm. The reason I ask that is we still have a large number of pastors leaving the ministry every month, mm. and they can't deal with the pressures. They can't deal with the people. They're getting beat up. How are you dealing with it? Mm. Great question. Well, I. You know, after much better the last 20 years than the first 15. So <laughs> I'm, I'm managing it through good self-care, through, you know, walks with my wife, through loving my, you know, adult daughters well. Um, you know, just making sure my boundaries are strong. I'm there to facilitate, not to save. Yeah. I'm there to understand, not to rescue. I'm there to facilitate, uh, not to be right. So... Because you're right, you're hearing a lot of pain all the time. Right. And you're right, you, you better. And then obviously just relying on the advocate, you know, and the Holy Spirit to just provide comfort to know that it's not about you. <laughs> but those are important things to increase self-care in those ways. Are, there, are, are you, huge for me at least. Are these groups that you run or is it single individual counseling? Most of my work's with couples. So if I see 30 people a week, probably... 15 to 20 couples and wow. other individuals. Are there any battling. groups you do or no? I don't. No, okay. it's not an area of okay. specialty for me. Mm -hmm. Wow. We'll get you in a group though, Tom. I Just need so it. You know, <laughs> we'll find a group for you. Need one. All right. Here's, here's a question from Jim. Uh, love Jim. He says, uh, does your smart panel still experience surprises by what they read in the Bible? And what routines do they have for scripture reading that they can share with us? Go ahead, Tom Parrish. I preached uh, two weeks ago. I have my own little YouTube channel. And I preached at St. Paul's Lutheran Church about a year ago. With I, I use the ESV Bible, and I'm studying notes, and I read Greek, and I got R.C. Angelinsky, all that kind of stuff. I was reading through Jude. It's only one chapter. I read verse 5, and it said in Jude that Jesus led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Most of the older translations that used later manuscripts use the term Lord or God. Mm. But the early manuscripts use the term Adonai. I mean, not Adonai, but uh, Asus, Jesus mm. himself. And for me, that was startling. 
It was startling. Not that I didn't believe Jesus was involved in the Old Testament, but to see it that specifically in the New Testament. And so I went to uh, the ESV study notes as well as R.C.H. Lenski in the Greek, and yeah, it's there. And the older manuscripts now have that in it, and I think it's so incredible. And after 40 years of preaching and teaching, it, it took till last year to find this out. I mean, 39 years I was devoid of this understanding of the New Testament, and it woke me up. And so being in the Scriptures a lot is, for me, the healthiest thing you can do because I keep discovering new surprises. Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, I get surprised all the time by the Scriptures. I, I remember when it was probably 10 years ago, I thought, gosh, I thought I knew all the Scriptures, and it turned out I maybe only knew about the 20 verses I had memorized in Sunday school, <laughs> right? And, and then I realized I knew about 2.7% of them. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I still don't know why when Elisha throws his axe into the water, why it floats and the significance of that. I, he's one of my favorite prophets when he's going on up to Bethel, and, and the youth are mocking him and saying, go on up to Bethel, you bald-headed prophet. And, <laughs> and, and you'd think there would be this man filled with, with kindness and compassion and understanding the immaturity of the youth. But no, he calls out a curse, and two she-bears come out of the bushes and maul 39 of the youth. Like, I don't know what's going on in that story at all. And and I just think, at some point, I would love to rewrite a children's Bible that wouldn't be in Noah's Ark and David and Goliath and all the common stories. It would be all these other stories that are in the text that I just simply, uh, A, I hadn't heard before, and B, I don't fully understand the meaning of or the significance of those stories. Wait a minute, Peter. You're bald-headed. You're a professor. <laughs> it's part of why I sympathize with the story. You grew up to Bethel, so I do, what do you know I do. about bears? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nothing yet, but it does, yeah, I do sympathize with the, with the prophet. And, you know, he asked, he asked how, can I, how did he put it, Bill? How can I develop a, yes. a study? What kind of practice do we use? And, yeah. you know, I'll tell you what I do. I, I was told many years ago by an old pastor that, you know, Tom, you need to spend one hour alone with the Lord every day or you'll burn out. And I don't do a full hour every day, but I often do. And here's what I do. Often, for 20 minutes, I'll lay on my bed, push the button on my iPhone, and listen. Go to Bible.is, and, you, and they'll read it's the good. Bible to you. Or if I can't sleep... Uh, that'll be part of my hour, laying in bed for 20 minutes, listening uh, to the scriptures. Then I get up and I read the scriptures and I get on my knees and I have my prayers. Sometimes I take out the guitar and sing to the Lord. But I think just to have uh, some good Bible commentaries yeah. in your house or the ESV study Bible, uh, that it just to do that. Yeah, I think those study notes are critical, yeah. as you said. And, and I think one other thing listeners can do that's very practical is if you just Google the word lexicon, L-E-X-I-C-O-N, and Google Old Testament or New Testament lexicon, there will be a search engine that will come up from that. And then you can put in an English word from your biblical text right. into that lexicon, and it'll give you the Hebrew or the Greek word. It'll give you the meaning of those words, and it'll give you the places where it's all used throughout the scriptures. And it's a way mm -hmm. to just start getting just gen uh, generally speaking <clears throat> behind the scenes in the Word. Todd, I have another question. You want to wait to the break, Bill? i got a question for our guest. You have a question for Todd? Yes. Or Scott, either one. Yeah. Scott. Um, let's see. Well, seeing <laughs> how, I, seeing, seeing how I've are. lost total control, <laughs> I'm not sure it matters. <laughs> All right. I think we'll go to break. I think that'll be a helpful thing. Uh, see if I can't regain control of my show. Uh, so anyway, you're listening to Guide Talk, as far as you know, and uh, we'll be back in 90 seconds. the show so glad to have uh, guide talk happening today the power panel uh, has been we've been joined by todd mulligan who's going to be with me in the last 30 minutes of the show today i'll have him one-on-one -on -one, but for now he's joined the power panel 
And I was thinking of the sin nature that uh, part of the sin nature that we have is a total focus on ourselves. And I'm wondering what the Bible teaches about narcissism. Todd, you must have thought about that some more than more than the other power wow. panel players. <laughs> well, there's nine symptoms, and the one that sticks out is uh, an, an unwillingness to empathize with others. So hmm. when you look at Colossians and, you know, just be really being for each other and, you know, having the power of strong empathy and hospitality and being for others, I think... I think that's crucial, and I think that really crushes narcissism is when we're empathetic, when we're Christ-like in that way. So I think narcissism's in a lot of characters in the Scriptures, too, and go on and on about and, that. And but, who was Narcissus? Right. Looked, would, in, looked in the water and he was saw the Greek, themselves. Wasn't right? he a Greek yeah. god yeah. who looked in the water, fell in love with mm-hmm. himself, and couldn't stop looking at mm-hmm. himself? Right. And, Todd, I'm with young people quite often, and they, the next generation can get accused of being narcissistic because they're always on social media and developing their profiles. But would you call that narcissism? Are they maybe searching for something? Or how would you characterize some of that kind of behavior? Yeah, it's a great question. I think being in, in the older set, I think there's a tendency for for me as an older person to always look for what's wrong with the younger generation. Right. There's always something wrong with the younger generation. Right. Most older people feel like that, right? Yep. So, but that being said, I just think it it magnifies things so much. You know, if somebody has a tendency to be anxious and now they're in this social media world, they just become more anxious. If somebody's really vulnerable to being narcissistic because they were bullied growing up by a parent or they always got what they want when they wanted it, mm. one of those edges, then they're really more vulnerable. So I think this generation is more vulnerable, and that's why you see 4 in 10 having, you know, severe mental health concerns yeah. because of that. Mm. Todd, what does uh, pride and insecurity, uh, how, do, how do they, does that contribute to narcissism? So great point, because I think a lot of people feel like narcissists really enjoy who they are and love who they are. But if you really love, you know, Christ didn't say love yourself or, you know, love your neighbor and then view yourself as a horrible person, right? <laughs> so we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. So usually the people that are deeply rooted and narcissism actually have deep, deep insecurities, hmm. or they're deeply, deeply arrogant. Does it make sense? So usually you see one or the other. If they grew up in an entitled upbringing, always got what they wanted, then they continue that way and bully others and are very entitled. <laughs> um, God, a lot of vulnerability is, here. It's great. Do you, do you think it's fair to say everybody's got a narcissist within them? Well, I think it's fair to say, like, we all might be vulnerable to a couple of traits of those nine. Sure. Uh-huh. And I think that's really important. It's really good you said that because I think we end up labeling people very quickly yeah. versus, you know, somebody might have a trait of narcissism or somebody might have full-blown narcissism, right? Okay. So okay. I think that's where the labeling becomes hurtful. So when you have someone that you're, you're counseling with that is very narcissistic, let's say beyond the normal, there's no empathy in their life. As a psychologist and a Christian, how do you help them begin to change that mm. or to begin to deal with that behavior so they become different people? Well, usually they're not in your office, so because yeah. <laughs> they don't think you have that. They don't. They don't have right. Right. Yeah. They're, so, they're, so you're dealing with the spouse. Maybe. You're dealing with the, the spouse who is a codependent who is trying to endure and manage and cope, and and so usually trying to help them find their voice so they can start asserting themselves. But when they do hit the wall, when they do hit rock bottom, then it, there's a crack there, and you're looking to help them you know, realize, you know, if they're a person of faith that God's God and you're not. But after you're done with that velvet hammer, it's really about them a lot of times reparenting themselves in Christ. Yeah. Because more often than not, when you look back, 
the parenting they received was was horrible. So it's not blaming the parents for 10 years or something, but it's more about what are you doing? Are you starting to view yourself as God sees you, as one of his beloved, as as gentle and kind? You know, all very pro-social behaviors, very anti-narcissistic behaviors. And that's a slow process because the problem is once they're even open to change, their family might not be ready for that change. Mm. Their family is dealing with trauma and hurt. So that's why it's usually a long journey. There's such a push today among a lot of the uh, psychologists I've worked with and, and scientists that want to say, hey, this is just who you've been born and are. You can't change that. I mean, that's just your genetics. If that's the case, then probably you're out of a job and so are we. The question is, how do you begin to address that in your practice when you start talking to people and they say, well, this is the way I've always been? Well, they, research actually, you know, meta-analyses show over and over again, genetics matters, but the environment matters. Yeah. Right. So, and even we believe a lot in epigenetics where your mm-hmm. environment can actually affect your hard, affect your hardware, yep. affect your brain. Somebody's you know, has a predisposition to this, sins of the father, if you will, right? So a right. genetic predisposition. Then they go through a lot of trauma. Well, you start to see brain structure differences even. So it's both. It's the environment that they're raised in as well as the genetic markers, so in my opinion. And Good research word. backs yeah. that up. So I've seen that as well. All right, here's a question from a, a caller. Is it possible for people, even pastors, to be possessed? My pastor has begun acting strange, inhuman, with a bad spirit, wondering if demons could be involved, should I talk to church leadership? I think it's possible. And well, here's, here's why. I just preached on this. It said, Satan entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot after he ate the morsel. So Satan, uh, so Satan not only inspired Judas, because it said Satan put it into the heart of Judas to betray the Christ, but then it says Satan entered into him. And think of it this way. Jesus had 12 little hand-picked disciples. One of them was a devil, Jesus said. And I think with all the pastors there are and all the people in church, you better believe churches have demonic pastors. Those would be That would be someone who's unregenerated, though. Well, if, if but you, you can, if you you can born be unregenerate again. and you can be a bishop in the church. I could oh, tell I, you some names. No, no, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that, Tom. Yeah. If you, are, if you are born again and regenerated by the Holy Spirit... A demon cannot possess you. I think he, I think he can oppress you. Definitely can You're oppress right. you but and cause think, pain think, and discouragement, but yes. they cannot be possession. I think that's good, yeah. But I would definitely go to the leadership of the church and see and, and share with them your concerns, because I'm sure other people are seeing this as well. But and, I'd first go to the pastor himself. Well, yeah, of course, but I'd take somebody with me. Okay. I wouldn't go Matthew alone. 18. I'd take two people, go in and sit with the pastor and say, Pastor, these are the characteristics we're seeing. How do you explain these? And see what kind of answer. And if you don't get a satisfactory answer, then take it to leadership. I think that's really important. I think it's a, a pretty big leap to go from maybe unusual behavior to demonic possession. And then right. I think to to take those steps carefully and cautiously and, as opposed to, I mean, I, I can sympathize with being upset with your pastor maybe on some level. And and, uh, and as I've been a pastor, people have been upset with me for understandable reasons. And, and yet I think sometimes for some reason the relationship between pastor and parishioner tends to go to like, you know, red alert number 10 and, or DEFCON 1 really quickly. And, and I'm not sure why that is, but, but I'd be careful about evaluating the spiritual condition of your pastor uh, without careful steps and intercession yep. involved. And and just to be fair to pastors, maybe the person that, no offense, but maybe the person that wrote the question is seeing something that's not there. 
maybe something sure. wrong with their vision on this. And well, I, I, I like, I love it when somebody says, Pastor, can I talk to you about something? Right. They sit down, they humbly share their concern. You can't help but listen to that person. But when they're barking to you at the door when you've just preached the sermon, that's the person I don't want to listen to. Well, and you need to be specific as possible when you're confronting somebody. Yeah, in that, for sure. If you're seeing something, you know, Pastor, why we have watched you now five times go up and put your arm around the young women, but you never touch the older women or you never touch anybody else. Now, I'm not saying that's happening, but that's almost the specifics you need because it's too nebulous for most people. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you talking about? I don't see this from the pastor. Todd, have you dealt with that in your work at all much in terms of like, what is that phenomenon about that sometimes pastors take more heat than other people in leadership? Mm. Well, again, you know, when somebody comes to, it's somebody, one of you were saying this in the first half hour about, you know, when you come to faith a certain way, you know, a certain song or a certain type of, you know, message, Mm, you can mm -hmm. just get kind of locked in on that and everything else feels out of bounds. So I think there's, you know, almost an idolization that can happen there, you know, and then a a devaluing of that person when they don't meet your need. You know what I mean? So because you're just so, you're passionate about your faith, you know, Jesus is just, you're so for your your love for Christ that sometimes that can move into idolizing the pastor sometimes. And because of that, you can be disappointed very easily as well. But I think there's lots of reasons why any person in leadership can, you know, have difficult times. But, yeah, right? you know, being a pastor for so many years, please humbly, gently go to your pastor and talk to him before you take it to anybody else. It really hurts when, yeah. you know, Pastor Brock does this or that. Yeah, he, have you ever talked to him about it? Well, no. Well, then do it, you know, Matthew 18. Yeah, I once heard a pastor say that, yes, moral failings will bring down a church, but it's more often gossip that brings down a church mm-hmm. than, than that. We might save this question for the last 30 minutes, Todd, but I'm directing this at you. Can you grow out of narcissism? Can you grow out of it? Yeah. Oh, good. You can learn to manage it versus it managing you. So you're you're recognizing the traits when they start coming your way, and you're deferring those to God, and you're you're more realizing that, yeah, this, this is, yeah, oh, wait a minute, there it is again. There's that trauma response that's now making me be really mean-spirited to my spouse. Oh, there it is. So they start catching it, deferring it to the Holy Spirit, and then managing a little bit better. So you can. And again, I think it's harder for somebody that's a severe narcissist that's has psycho, you know, is, is kind of a, a sociopath style versus a, a mild narcissist. Hmm. That sounds really encouraging. Thanks uh, for joining the uh, power panel today. That is uh, the conclusion now for Guy Talk. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, it's just going to be down to me and Todd. Which Goodbye, I can't. everybody. We, we don't want to go. <laughs> but no, you guys have to leave. Trust me. <laughs> so great to see the face. i got to get back in my show such here. such a good job. All right. All right. Yeah. We're still on the air. <laughs> That's okay. Well, for now, anyway. <laughs> We're going to be back uh, with Todd Mulliken. If you have uh, another question for Todd, you can keep it coming at 877-933-2484. We'll be right back.
are back, and Todd Mulligan weathered the storm of Guy Talk. Uh, nice, nice going there, Todd. You hung okay, in there good. You think? Oh, you did great. All right. Yeah, you were a big Baptism hit. Baptism by fire. You, you were know? a big hit. Yeah, I kind of threw that at you, didn't I? So it's all good. Yeah, yeah. it was fun. All right. Um, you said something, I don't know, a year ago or so, that really stuck in my head, and it's 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 something everyone really needs to hear because you say when you're in a relationship, it's important to listen without being defensive and to speak without being offensive. Now, that's really hard to do. But if you can do that, I would think your your communication skills would go up very quickly. It helps you get through the conflict more oh, I would manageably, so. right, yeah. versus having a week-long kind of so, ice age, you know? Mm-hmm. What, uh, what should be running in your head? So mm. if I'm going to say something to you, should should what's running in my head saying i can't be offensive right now mm, mm. yeah i think what you're trying to do initially is am i leading out well so i think it's sometimes it's helpful to know my style right am i a fighter under stress or am i a flighter so if I'm a fighter under stress i'm going to and i want to say something to my spouse really quick i better i better kind of take a breath have a moment of silence, and then lead out, right? Because usually fighters are kind of um, fire-ready aim. You know, they, they, they just, they blurt. And oftentimes those words are hurtful, Bill, and very interrogative. So, and if I'm a flighter and I'm ready to speak, I probably need to just speak into that moment versus avoid it and say, well, that probably won't go well. So I think that initial volley... And how we do speaking without offending is based on your style and your temperament mm-hmm. and your tendencies. So I ask yourself first, where am I in the continuum? Am I kind of a fighter under stress where I want to dig in and get after it? Or am I more of a, a flighter like, you know, let's not talk about that. So how do you do that without being accusatory? I mean, if I have to... If I've got a conflict with you and I'm going to say something, there's a good chance it's going to sound accusatory, right? Yeah. And that's not going to go well. Right. But how do I make my point and say it in a way that's not offensive and right. where you're going to go, well, thanks for saying it that way. That's, I'm not feeling defensive at all. Right. Ideally, you're saying, here's my take on what happened, but how do you see it? So it's, it's an interaction. It's not an interrogation. It's also, the other thing I'm I'm finding myself telling a lot of folks I see is, please don't tell him or her how they're feeling. Ooh. Right. Please don't, Mm -hmm. you know, assign uh, motives to your spouse. Let them in. You've heard me say, let each other in versus take things out on each other. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm frustrated by how this went today. I'm feeling kind of sad and overwhelmed. How about you? Where are you at with that? That's pretty non-offensive. And if the person takes offense then it's their job to say, gal, that landed poorly. It felt like you were attacking me. Was that your intention? And then I I ask couples to do a CC, a clarifying conversation, Mm -hmm. where then the speaker says, well, gal, that wasn't my intention. Here's how I meant to tee that up for you. Because sometimes people, when they receive something that isn't offensive, they still feel offended because they were offended all the time growing up. So they don't got any skin left. Right. (laughs) You know, so it's like salt in the wound, right? So... That spouse doesn't need to be walking on eggshells, but they can clarify their intention. Hey, my intention is to lead out well. Here's my take on what happened. How do you see it? Mm-hmm. So when you're interacting and volleying it over versus, hey, I got the floor, shut up and listen. Right? Yeah. So that lead out's huge. 
And it's almost worth <laughs> not to use it as a technique, but just to almost have that lead out almost memorized. I mean, what a what a nice way to start a discussion if it's a difficult issue. Right. And keep it kind of diffused, right? Yeah. And, you know, couples have patterns. So you've been married a long time. Sometimes the hurt mind overrides the wise mind, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're in this pattern, this loop where we have a parenting difference or money difference. Bang, here we go again. And whoop. I'm speaking before I, you know, words are coming out before I even know what I'm thinking because that pattern's been there for so long. So I've got to preempt that and do my own work in my quiet time and say, hey, these two patterns were getting crushed. Ideally, you talk about that as a couple if you can, but if it's pretty touchy, you at least do your, at least do your own work on your own side of the street with mm-hmm. the Lord and say, hey, my next lead out on these financial differences we have needs to be more interactive. That's on me. Mm-hmm. So leading out well is huge. And then if it, the lead out is good, but the other person is really touchy and wants clarification, then the speaker can clarify. But the big part of that first thing, Bill, is to trust each other's intentions. It's very rare that I will wake up in the morning and say, I'd like to hurt Laura today, right? Right. But I might do something that unintentionally hurts her, right? So, uh, or vice versa. But if she trusts my intentions and I trust her intentions, it doesn't mean we don't have conflicts. It means we still know we're for each other in Christ. So that that softens the blow a little bit. Mm-hmm. But listening without defending, can we talk about that a little bit? Because yeah, I think please. that's even harder. Okay. So now this person has let out even pretty well. How do I listen and just listen? So James says it great, right? Quick to listen. Because if you're anything like me when I'm listening, I'm saying... Oh, I got, I got a line that I, I'm gonna. <laughs> I got something here that's gonna crush crush this because I'm gonna be right here because you're saying something to me that is not true. Mm-hmm. This is not true. This is not true. And are you even, just, are you even listening to me, or are you just waiting for me to stop talking so you can use your crushing line? Correct. So now I'm completely not listening to understand or listening to yeah. validate. So, so what's the point? The good role of being a listener, and nobody's listening these days, right? Everybody's got the final answer. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe, if you don't see this issue of COVID this way, you're for sure all those things. Right. Or if you don't, so anyway, I'm just saying people aren't listening much. So the power of listening is so huge, I think, for us believers. Are we listening to understand? Even if we disagree, are we at least trying to understand the per- perspective? And doesn't mean we're just pacifying or being avoidant. So mm-hmm. listening without defending, Bill, means here's what I'm hearing. Is that what you're intending? Or it sounds like, yeah, I mean, that was, I can see why you were hurt by that pattern that we were stuck in. You know, So sometimes I'll have pleaser types that have been stuck on something for a long time, bring it up when they start feeling safe because the marriage is actually doing better. Right. Mm-hmm. So now that the marriage is doing better, sometimes the pleaser, you know, he or she is saying, God, I just, I'm still struggling from stuff from the past. Okay. So, How does that go over? Because well, the other person think, thinks things are going better. Right, because usually the, the driver is going, hey, we're good, right? And then all of a sudden they hear, no, we're not doing Oh, I thought we were good, right? No, we're not, we're not good. So how do I, if I'm the driver, if, if my wife brings something up to me and, and Laura says, golly, and I'm stuck on this stuff from five years ago, I just got triggered by it today. So am I going to defend and say, well, why are you back there? <laughs> or, you know, what? We talked about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so invalidating. And so that's my own insecurity. That's my own feeling less than in Jesus versus like 
okay, I get to, if I'm content enough in my walk, I get my spouse gets to be upset about something. <laughs> right. So am I listening just to try to understand where they're coming from? That's my goal. That's my only goal in listening is not to respond, not to win, not to defend. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, stop defending yourself. You don't have to defend yourself. Just listen to what they have to say. And you can clarify what your intention was. That's different than just kind of defending. Because when the person defends, then it's invalidating what the other person is at least. They're just trying to say what's on their mind. Mm-hmm. So listening to validate, listening to understand is such a big deal. But I think it takes practice, Bill. And yeah, Todd, the, the longer the history between the two people, does that make it harder to suspend the history to actually hear what they're trying to say? Because you've got Absolutely. you've got so many things in the closet, right? Yes, that you've either remembered, stored, and you go, "Oh, here it comes." I can't even hear what they're about to say because right. I've got so much history. Yep, absolutely. How do you how do you do a workaround on that? Well, you certainly try not to do it from the reactive place because you want to preempt that and address it ahead of time and say that's the one area that sets the dust ball in the corner. We got our house pretty; it's getting pretty clean now. But, oh, boy, that area, yeah. So I try to have couples not be defined by that dust ball, even though it might feel big, and it might be big, but be defined by your victories if the victories are actually happening, right? If they're growing and healing but we still got some stuff, don't be defined by this stuff. Let's learn from this stuff and let's kind of say, how can I work on my side of the street with that stuff? So that means I'm going to practice ahead of time how I want that to go differently from my side of the street. So we've got to proactively address that. Mm -hmm. Because once we're in the moment, and then not be discouraged if the next five times we address it, we only get it one, we only do it right, if you will, one time. Mm -hmm. I'll take that one time versus the past 500 times. Yeah, no kidding. That's progress, isn't it? Transformation is, you know, it it happens over time, not overnight, right? Yeah. For me, any transformation I've had in my own life, it's sure... It'd be nice if it just, boom, right there, like a conversion, my conversion was. But, boy, most transformation I've had has happened over time. Yeah, incremental steps. Yeah. Right. All right, Todd Mulliken is my guest. Um, his new book is called Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. Todd was nice enough to say, I've got, hey, three copies that you can uh, give out to listeners. All you have to do is text the word book to 877-933-2484 and we'll do a drawing for one of the three copies that Todd has uh, been nice enough to give to us. So thank you for that, Todd. Um, When it comes to uh, being liked, I know that for a lot of people there's the Christian mentality is I want to be a good person, I want to be nice, I want to be full of grace, I want to be kind, Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're actually telling people what your desires are. Right, right. I mean, you're if you're if you're a person that likes being liked, you may not be um, speaking your truth. Yeah, you may not be voicing what's important to you. And I had a friend of mine tell me a long time ago, you know, you don't ever talk about yourself, Todd. I go, oh, you're right. And he's a good friend of mine still, and and that was back in my early twenties. I said, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, he said. You know, when I ask you about you, what do you need? And you don't say much. And I, you just turn it right back to me. And I go, oh, you're right. And so I think, yeah, I get I get to if we're a, a, a like, you know, being like kind of person, mm-hmm. we get to say, yeah, here's my strong feeling about this. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I, I get to get that truth of Jesus going. I need to get that motor going. Yeah. More, is that right? a vulnerability thing or a control thing? If I turn mm. it back on you, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be vulnerable, and maybe I'm going to be more in control. Great. I, I think and people do clearly, like about themselves. I think clearly, right? Clearly, that's that can be the case. It could be a control thing. It could be an anxiety thing. It could be just not comfortable mm-hmm. with that, or it could be being even more comfortable listening to what people have to say, mm-hmm. or maybe. That person grew up listening to a parent a lot, so they weren't used to. That's why I always tell parents, you know, draw out your children. Ask, you know, don't always just say, "Here's what you know, here's what you need to do, kids." You know, when the kid is getting older in mid middle school, high school, ask their kid what they think, what they feel, so they're able to find their voice growing up. So they're more, so they're less vulnerable to be that being liked person. Mm-hmm. Talk about tone a little bit, Todd. You know, if there's an anger element in, in the dialogue, and you clearly feel this tone is has got an edge to it. And oh, you're, so you're saying good words, but the tone says you're still resentful or you're mad or you've got an attitude. Right, that edge. Yeah, the edge. And what's hard about that, Bill, is sometimes the truth is that person's got an edge. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But sometimes the truth is the spouse grew up with screaming and now just a little bit of a voice raise is triggering yeah. the trauma. Mm-hmm. And the truth is they're not with an abuser. But it sure feels like it. Boy, that's so tough. what's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not one size fits all. So the truth ends up being having both parties having humility there. You know, so if I if my spouse grew up with a lot of trauma, how am I having humility for their story and saying, Hey, I know tone matters, you know, let your gentleness be evident to all. Philippians four or five. Let me memorize that, let me Im- embed that. But if I'm the one that grew up with trauma, I need to make sure I'm working through that trauma versus saying, this is what this person's doing to me. I know it's that way for sure, for sure, for sure. Because one of the symptoms of PTSD is negative alteration in our thinking and our mood. So I'm always going to believe the worst. So, Bill, you know, what does it say? In your anger, do not sin, Ephesians 4, 26. And it also says, uh, Proverbs twenty nine eleven: do not give full vent to your anger. Mm-hmm. So I think tone matters. At the end yeah. of the day, it matters. Yeah. All right, Todd, let me take a little break. When I come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about resentment. I'm wondering, through all of the COVID and the shutdown and the stay in place and not be as social, if there are resentments that are coming out and if you're hearing about them more and more in your office and what we can do about that'd be great. Todd Mullican is my guest, and you can uh, get in on the drawing for one of his books. He's offered uh, three. They're called Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency, on couples and families. And his last name is spelled M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. ToddMulliken.com. We'll be right back. for listening to Faith Radio and supporting us. I'm just thinking out loud here. Todd's here. You said you liked the podcast intro, and I said, they are the best. Uh, yeah. The listeners are the best. so cool. Yeah. All right, Todd, right before we went to break, I was asking you about resentment, and I'm wondering, with more people shut down, more restrictions in place, mm. um, more togetherness, does it generate more resentments? And if so, what can we do about it? 
So when you are around each other more and there is a pattern in the marriage that's difficult, then uh, especially if I'm more of a passive person and I'm avoiding a a conversation because I don't think it'll go well, I'm more vulnerable to go to the resentment bank and put a little money in there and that builds up over time. And then what do I do with that? Because as the pleaser type, I'm saying, well, if I say it this way, she or he won't get it anyway. It's not really worth it. So in real time, that person needs to be able to say, wait a minute, that's on me for choosing not to say something versus gaining resentment. So I need to, in real time, stop the resentment building by saying, hey, I need to what I call be an inside-out person. Here's my inside feelings that the Holy Spirit's convicting me of and bringing me joy to, and I'm just bringing that out to my spouse because I'm for them, even if we're really struggling. I'm for that person. So that's one way to reduce resentment is stop the bleeding moving forward by saying in real time, I'm going to hold myself accountable to say the tough thing when I need to. And we're around each other more due to COVID, so I'm feeling it more, so I just need to talk about it. And it may not go well, but that's okay. Love must be sincere, Romans twelve nine. Mm-hmm. Now, the stuff from the past that I'm still hanging on to, that's hard because it's now being triggered again, right, from the, the patterns that we're experiencing. So what I get to do as a, you know, last time I talked about this phrase called HARP, if you remember that. I do where, remember that. Yeah, where it's good to have couples, not for the rest of their life, but have a what I call a Sunday summit. And if you're in like a, a marriage which is very common where I'm experiencing some resentment or we're just in recovery from just a hard year or recovery from infidelity or abuse or addiction. HARP stands for, so that you have this time together we call HARP. H stands for, we'll start out light with high and low from the last few days and let each other in and be gentle with that. You know, here's what's going on in my life and here's a high and a low from the week. First day is affirmation. So it challenges me, even if I'm building resentment, to affirm something that is good about my spouse that I've noticed, and I share that. Second A, it's H-A-A-R-P. The second A is an apology where I've done something. It helps me be accountable. You know, I'm sorry for holding these thoughts in the last two days, and it's distanced me from you, and I'm sorry for not bringing that to you. The R stands for recovery. And so that's my time. That's our time as a couple to say for this area that we're struggling with, with financial differences or parenting differences or tone issues or whatever our pattern is, we want to talk about that week and what we've each felt about that and create a safe place just to listen, to understand, just to volley out. Yeah, I, you know, it's, the resentment's been quieter this week. It's been better. I really appreciate your efforts, honey. Or, you know, it's, I got triggered a lot by the last two conversations we had, so I'm really struggling still. And then the P stands for prayer, where we pray that up. And it creates a rhythm that's more of perhaps a safe place to talk about what's difficult. And then ideally they evolve out of the harp and just get into a regular habit of, you know, doing that weekly mm-hmm. or something, right? Yeah. So... But they're learning kind of how to have some gentle time and also some, you know, difficult waters a little bit. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes get an egg timer, like, whoop, you know, or, or, or we got this, we got a half hour. It's not going to be a three-hour deal. Mm-hmm. And Todd, address how important it is or unimportant. I think it's important that you find a, a safe space or a time when a, the other person is going to be more opening, more open to hearing what you're going to say. Yeah. Isn't timing everything? That's so true, Bill. 
And it's hard because some people are spontaneous. Some people want to know what they're doing in 2022, right? <laughs> so, you know, and sometimes couples have one of each, and that's often the case. So we meet at the 50-yard line by knowing we have a time coming up on Sunday at 3.30 to 5 while the kids are down and talking about stuff and things that are beautiful, things that are hard. So we know what's coming. So if you're a spontaneous person that isn't really good at planning and you have to plan at work all the time, you just want to come home and not plan. Yeah. We need to plan that. And again, we need to major on the majors, right? We're, when we're, if we're married, we're called in the marriage. We're less defined by our vocation, more defined by how we are with each other. We work hard in our vocation, but we get to be really intentional about having time. Mm-hmm. What's a step for uh, couples that might feel just so stuck right now? Mm-hmm. They're just feeling like, oh my, I got to figure out what to do here. Yeah. That's a very vague question. But no, no, it's okay. I, I ask those well. You, yeah, I think it's good to lead out, you know, let, let the other person in, lead out. And again, if I'm a fighter and I've been convicted by something I heard, you know, today from the pastors or something, I can just lead out and say, hey, I know we're in a tough spot, hon, but I, I was convicted by this message today at five. So now you got to do, the spouse needs to do my listening without defending and say, okay, I'm going to let that, thanks for, I, that person was vulnerable with me. I need to let that in and and have empathy for what happened Mm -hmm. for them. Because the alternative is worse. I love what Yancey says about forgiveness, right? The only thing harder than forgiveness is the alternative. Right. So I think having a vulnerable moment about just something you're going through versus a vulnerable moment about, I'm ready to tell you the 10 things wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if you said uh, to your spouse, say, I heard this Todd guy on Bill's show say that that it's important to speak without being offensive and listen without being defensive. What do you think of that? What do you, how do you think we do with that? I mean, do you think that would be that's, a conversation that's, starter? That's even better. That's really good. That'd be uh, a great lead out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I love the way you said, what do you think about that? You know, how do you see that? Yeah, just that you're evaluating the, the idea, not... Right. Not making any kind of accusations or saying, boy, we, we're not good, very good at this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We struggle with this. And you, that's okay. Could, God still loves us. We're, we're, you know, we're still for each other. We've been stuck. We're kind of growing apart versus growing together. So let's, I just want to lead out with that. I heard that and that kind of convicted me about my side of the street. Mm-hmm. It's always good to lead out, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit versus blessed are those that have their act together. Right. You know, so it's all, in my opinion, it's good to lead out from a, 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 a you know, powerful place of humility. Versus a place of, like you said earlier, pride or insecurity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I my, think if, 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 if the, my listeners can walk away with one thing tonight, if you can have this into the discussion uh, with people that you love and care about, if you are, if you're in a difficult place, is ask that question: Can you, can we speak without being offensive, and can we listen without being defensive? Yes. That's, that's a that's a big step. And, and if we struggle with that, let's try to clarify, do a CC that Todd talks about, a clarifying conversation. And can we start choosing to trust each other's intentions? Mm-hmm. My intention right now is not to hurt. I know that came off offensively, but here was my intention. So let me reword that. Or, hey, you know, you don't need to reword that. I'm just hypersensitive to that because, you know, my, my dad yelled at me all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm figuring that out in my own counseling. So that's when you start really seeing traction is when each person, that's when my fourth part is, own your own part. Mm-hmm. You know, I say, speak without offending, listen without defending. 
agree to disagree once in a while. We're not always going to see things the same way. And then own your own part. So are we coming back with what I've been learning or are we coming back with ammunition? Mm-hmm. Tom, what happens when people take it to an extreme? If, if mm-hmm. you say to me, boy, mm-hmm. Bill, every time we're going to meet for lunch, you're always a half hour late. <laughs> and I go, fine, I'm a bad person. Yeah. You know, I, so I'm late. Sorry, I'm a bad person. And you go, yeah, oh, why do you have to so take defensive. it to an extreme? Yes. You know, what's with that? All I can do, I can't rescue that person's stuff. Mm-hmm. Even if it's my spouse, all I can say is from my inside out, being authentic, hey, that wasn't my intention, just clear. Here's what my intention was with what I said. Yeah, and that tone might make them even matter. It might. Yeah. And they might. Then what? Because they feel less than. Yeah. And we can't fix that. We like can't you're in control that. right now. You're being right. calm and kind, and all of a sudden that makes me mad. Right. And then all I can say Maybe is. I got problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you get like that, I'm, <laughs> I love how you do it the last 30 seconds. It's beautiful. <laughs> so the best I can do there is go, yeah, it seems like you're overwhelmed, but I, I want to let you know I love you. And uh, I love you. I'm for you. Yeah. And I don't know what to do right now. You know, and just be that way. Don't yeah. fix it. Don't manage it. Don't feel like you did it wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what the pleasers battle. I, yeah. I did that wrong. Yeah, jump in uh, and sign up to be uh, a winner for one of Todd's books. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. The book is called Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. Todd, thanks for being here. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks to the guys for Guy Talk and for you, my listeners. I just love you like crazy. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.